You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey everybody, welcome into the Rocky Top Rewind here at VolQuest.com and VolQuest on the YouTube channel. Appreciate you guys for watching and sending us questions in. We're going to be on uh, the air here live on the YouTube channel until 9 o'clock Eastern Time, so feel free to send us in some questions. Super Chats get bumped to the front of the line, remember that. We always appreciate you guys for sending in some Super Chats. But I'm Eric Kane, that's Brent Hubs. we got a load to get into today. There is extensions being held out all across the uh uh, campus here at Tennessee with Josh Heupel, college football's new $9 million man, Danny White, the highest paid AD. Tennessee basketball had a top 10 win over Texas. There was a junior recruiting day. So loads to get into here on this edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. Appreciate you guys for being here. But Brent, I thought we'd go ahead and start with kind of the big football news of the week. Josh Heupel, he is uh, getting a contract extension. He is getting a raise. It is well-deserved, but now he moves into top 10 nationally in, in terms of coaching salary. He's going to make $9 million annually through January of 2029. That is quite the investment for the University of Tennessee. Yeah, certainly you can sit there. You can't question um, Tennessee's investment into anything uh, in terms of athletics where they are right now. Uh, I think the other thing, too, is, and I've jokingly said this, but I, I truly believe this. I mean, he should go to the Eli Drinkowitz at spring meetings and say thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when the 17 and 19 – you know, a coach with a 17 and 19 record gets paid $6 million in this league. Um, that, that sets the floor, right? And, and so you knew Josh Heupel was going to get a raise, but it's it's a lot easier to justify a $4 million raise when you look at what the rest of the conference is making. And Eli Drinkowitz got Shane Beamer a big raise. Not that Beamer wasn't going to get a raise, but yeah. it changed what the floor is for the raises. And, um, you know, Josh Heupel, I thought was probably going to go to eight, maybe somewhere between eight and nine. Um, and, and obviously, that you know, when you look at who else was at nine, it only makes sense. Um, when you're talking about Mark Stoops, who Josh Heupel's two and zero against, Lane Kiffin used Auburn to get a raise to go to nine. Um, you know, and and there sits Josh Heupel at, at nine million dollars. Which, um, again, when you look at the results, it's hard to argue based on market uh, value. Well, you know, that is not worth $9 million. Now, I think that creates more pressure, right, uh, for everybody um, in, in the program. Uh, but And that's why you're seeing some of the stuff written out there. Hey, they got to recruit better. They got to do this because it's put him in a different stratosphere in, in terms of the expectations for Josh Heupel because of the investment Tennessee's making in him. Bert, what would you say to the kind of the opposite end of the coin there saying, well, hey, it's just – it's just been one year. You've had one good season. You had one regular season where you had 10 wins. You had one 11-win season. It was awesome. Sure, he should get a raise, but should it have been $9 million? Is it essentially, you know, it's cost of doing business? Is it the EY Drinkwitz effect, or is it a little, all those things combined? Plus, the university wants to reward their guy and say, hey, you know, we're we're entrenched with Josh Heupel for years to come, and, and we want him to be the guy, so we're going to pay him like that. Well, I, I, I mean, why do you want to open? If you think Josh Heupel is your guy, if you believe you found the guy, and Lord knows Tennessee's been trying to find the guy for 
forever. It seems like, you know, everybody keeps asking, what's it like to cover a winning program? Well, let me tell you what the last 12 years have been like covering this team. I mean, the hours are still the same, but the interest level is not what it used to be. Uh, but you know, when you think if you're a school that you found the guy, the last thing you want to do is lose the guy because you're cheap. Okay. Now there is that threshold. Are you overpaying too early? You know, but, but Josh Heupel's got two years of a sample size. He's also been a head coach before. Somebody tried to tell me, you know, I mean, you were critical of Michigan State giving Mel Tucker $10 million a year, yet you sit there and celebrate Josh Heupel getting what he's getting. Mel Tucker was his, was in his se- going into his second year as a head football coach, and he inherited a Heisman Trophy candidate who maybe should have won the Heisman Trophy as a running back in his first year. Josh Heupel has been a head coach at Central Florida. He's been in this league. I mean, he's longer in the tooth in terms of coaching experience. And you've got two years of evidence at Tennessee. I mean, the other guy, Josh Heupel, should give a thanks to is Hendon Hooker, right? Because if you don't get the quarterback play, you're not winning 10 games. And we're not sitting here talking about $9 million a year. Uh, But when you have that kind of success, you just don't want to open yourself up to potentially losing Josh Heupel to somebody because you were on the cheap. You don't want him to feel like he's got to leverage you to get where he needs to get to. And and I think that's what Dondi Plowman and, and, um, Danny White wanted to do. And I think Dondi Plowman was as, was as as much behind this as, as anybody in terms of getting something done early and getting something at the market value where it needed to be. She's a big believer in Josh Heupel. She's a big believer in Danny White and where athletics is right now. Yeah, came to this agreement back in December, signed off, signed off on it on, in December, and then now you know he's getting paid for this new year, $9 million. He's now fifth in the SEC, bringing him – Right out there with Lane Kiffin, Mark Stoops, kind of in that category. There's four other coaches that are being paid more than Josh Heupel, and that would be Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, and Brian Kelly. But with that, Brent, no doubt it's going to come expectations, right? I mean, they're, they're they're always high here at Tennessee. When you pay a head coach $9 million, when you have a Herald of Five-Star quarterback and Nico Iamaliava, you know, coming in campus, the first misstep from Joe Milton next year, they're going to be chanting for Nico. That's just kind of part of it. And, of course, Josh Heupel is not going to be fired – next year if you lose a couple games or whatever but those expectations will continue to rise is there that type of pressure i don't think josh hopple's the type of guy that you know will will back away from pressure regardless but there is going to be a little bit of pressure with those expectations of that race well i bet here's the thing whether he was making nine million dollars or whether he's making six million dollars after you win 10 games and you're bringing guys back and you've scored the points you scored in two seasons the expectations are there whether you're making $4 million or $9 million, right? I mean, that does, I mean, is the difference for some fans going to be, a, you know, more pressure there? Maybe, right? But I mean, let's face it. I mean, lose a game, there's going to be people howling. There's going to be people, you know, saying this, that, and the other. I mean, what, what, regardless of what their salary is going to be. So I don't think that necessarily changes a ton of things um, that way. But I mean, look, you're, you're putting yourself in a, He's put himself, Josh Heupel's put himself in a world where everybody has expectations because of the product that they have put out there. He's been rewarded for that product. And that only ramps up. I mean, look, this is a billion-dollar industry in college football, multi-billion-dollar industry, and it's only going to get richer. The money's only going to get higher and higher, and the stakes are only going to get higher. you got NIL, you got Transfer Portal, new TV deals. I mean, the amount of money being paid, this, there's nothing amateur about college athletics. And there's certainly nothing amateur about college football. 
and it hasn't been amateur for a long time. And now it's getting less and less amateur with guys making money and all of those types of things. That's just, it's big time business. James chimes in on the chat section over here on the ride. Good investment compared to all the crap that's been here since Philip former. Um, the guy that's is paying, you know, the guy that had a big part in paying Josh Hopple $9 million now is uh, got to pay raise himself and a nice sweet deal, uh, an extension, it's a rollover. He gets a 5% raise every single year. He's now the highest paid athletics director in the Southeastern Conference, and that is that guy right there, Danny White. Uh, quite, again, it came on back-to-back -back days, at least the, in terms of the announcement. I feel like the university is making a statement here saying, absolutely, we're dialed in on athletics. We know this is the front porch of the university. It helps with keeping the lights on. It pays for all the other sports. I mean, it helps with enrollment. But uh, a nice little investment there for Danny White as well, the guy that was hired and brought in his guy from UCF two years ago and Josh Heupel. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, we talk about alignment. That's a word that's used all a lot, you know, much like the word culture is used. And, you know, what does it mean? And it's an overused word sometimes. But alignment's important because when you don't have alignment from the university side through athletics, then you have problems. And you have problems in terms of facilities. You have problems in terms of admissions. You have problems in, in dealing with things that, you know, on the academic side. You have athletics who have issues with the academic side. The academic side has issues with athletics. Right now, you have great alignment. And that alignment is, starts at the top with President Randy Boyd, who's obviously a sports guy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Dondi Plowman is a sports chancellor. She understands the value of athletics. Danny White sees how significant her value is to his performance and his success, which is why you saw in the contract the buyout for him to stay or for him to take another job somewhere. Um, if she's the chancellor, he owes whatever his salary is that year, which is going to be 2.2 plus. If she's gone, it's half of that. And he put that pause in there because – the fear as an athletic director is you don't have alignment from, from your chancellor on your campus. And if you don't have alignment, you got struggles and you've got issues. And right now they're in big time alignment, which gives them a chance to be successful. Danny White inherited a lot of good things in an athletic department. He really did. Um, baseball coach, Rick Barnes, um, golf, um, a lot of sports he just has not had to mess with. Swimming and diving. You know, a lot of those things he's just not had to do a whole lot with. Now, he was hired to fix football, which previous ADs had been unable to fix. And through two seasons, it looks like he's got football fixed or on the right track to being fixed. I mean, they're not perfect in football, but it looks like they're on a trajectory we have not seen in a long period of time. Um, and, and and he's done a lot of good things. I mean, he, he has. They, he's pushed a lot of the right buttons. Uh, a lot of the fan engagement stuff that they've done has been really good. And, and there's a buzz around Tennessee athletics that we haven't seen since, since the inception of social media, to be honest with you. We just haven't seen it like this. Everybody's like, man, it's got to feel different. Well, it does, because in the 90s, there was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. There was no interaction on Instagram. And nobody was, you know, what, what you did in terms of your in-game presentation didn't matter. Nobody cared. Right, Eric, it was just go to the game and watch the game. Now all those things matter, right? What's your what you know, how your beverage system works, you know, and, and the ease that it is for um, you know, buying things, the seats that you see there, enhancing all the fan experience. And Danny White gets that. I think he gets that better than any athletics director that Tennessee has had 
um, in, in a long, long time, maybe ever, because that's more of a priority than it's ever been. If, because you're competing against flat screen televisions and man yeah. caves and tailgates, you know, I mean, it's no big deal to throw a 70 inch TV in the back of a pickup truck and go to a tailgate somewhere. Right. I mean, think about it. I mean, you take a big screen to a tailgate in 98, you better take a U-Haul trailer with you. You know, it's just different. And so your competition's level is different. So the fan experience element is really big. And Danny White and his staff have done a good job of that since he arrived on Tennessee's campus. And it's only going to get better, in my opinion. Yeah, really looking forward to the continued renovations at uh, Neyland Stadium in the coming years. Of course, Lindsey Nelson Stadium put out a plan for that earlier this year. And the guy making all that work, $2.2 million starting out. He'll get a 5% raise every single year. That's Danny White. Brought in Josh Alva from UCF two years ago. He's $9 million. College football's new $9 million man. And Crawdad Watson chimes in with the Super Chat. Appreciate you, Crawdad. He wants to know, how do you see Coach Heupel evolving if big-time defensive talent keeps going to Bama and Georgia? Brent, something you and I love to track uh, throughout this season was, and I think a lot of that had to do with year two in the system and uh, just being comfortable in the offense and knowing what was was happening, but the new wrinkles in the offense each and every week, and deciding how to use some talent, try, how to create those mismatches and exploit those weaknesses. Uh, Heupel's always evolving. This offense will continue to evolve, but the question here, meaning you know the better defensive talent going to some other schools around the SEC and Georgia and Alabama. Well, I mean, the, the better defensive talent's been going to to Alabama for you know, nearly two decades. Um, and, and Georgia and Kirby Smart's taking some of that talent now, no question. And, and you look at what Georgia's put out there. Um, I mean, for two seasons against Nick Saban, Tennessee's had people open. Now, they scored a bunch of points this year. But even the previous year, you know, they had guys open and made that game really interesting that down there. So, I mean, you're going to see Josh Heupel continue to evolve. And, you know, there's just you, – you hear it from recruits. Um, the, the running back who was in from, from Ohio, from Moeller for the junior day, you know, he, he talked about, well, you know, my, my thought on this offense, they were just really pass happy. This is a balanced offense. Now it, it's, it's a little more, it's, it, the balance is a little different than maybe you see or what you think of balance. Cause they're not lining up with two tights and, um, a fullback from time to time, but I mean, Alabama doesn't line up with a fullback, right? I mean, Tennessee was in the eye formation more than Alabama was this year. Tennessee you know? went offset eye on the goal line. <laughs> Alabama didn't know how to line up to it. Right. So, so the, 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 the reality is people are trying defensively are still trying to evolve and catch up to, to what Tennessee's doing, you know, and you, you'll see that. I mean, look at what happened. And part of the NFC championship game today was the simple fact that, that San Francisco got the quarterback hurt and they, they no. couldn't score. But, but I think D'Amico Ryans is one of the top defensive coordinators in the NFL. He's going to get a job. That's the number one defense across the board. And Philadelphia, for one drive in the third quarter, ran Jalen Hurts for like seven straight plays or something and scored. So defenses are always trying to catch up um, because offenses are always tweaking and evolving and have different having different things. The biggest thing Josh Heupel has to do is he has to continue to recruit and improve his recruiting in the line of scrimmage. If there's one thing there that you worry about, you do not want to be um, subpar in the offensive line because then that puts you in a situation where your quarterback can't be successful. Now, with this offensive system and what they do, Eric, do they have to be five all pros on the offensive line? I don't know about that, but I'm going to tell you what we're going to learn, I think, through all-star games the next two weeks. Darnell Wright's pretty damn good. And you know who else is pretty good? Didn't get talked about a lot? Jerome Pretty good players. 
you, you, you know, and those are two guys Josh Heupel inherited. They have to recruit at a high level on the offensive line. Um, and I think they got to recruit better on the offensive line than they have to this point. And that's maybe the answer to Crawdad's question is how do you combat that a little bit? You continue to elevate your recruiting on the offensive line. We're going to get Rob Lewis on here in just a minute, but right before we take a, a one-minute breather, Vol Guy and, and Sam Smith were wondering, uh, another week, still no tight end hire. Josh Heupel, of course, got, gets his ex- extension. Uh, his assistants will be getting extensions and raise, or raises as well. That will come out in the coming weeks. But still no tight end coach. Jeff Ferris, any 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 word there? And any update to Tom Lod, Brent? No, before spring practice starts. <laughs> um I mean, and, you know, and, and I, you know, I kind of joked with the head coach about that yesterday and, and, you know, there's just, there's not a timetable. So we'll see. I mean, he, they they'll wrap up recruiting. They'll come off the road here and, and maybe he'll get, maybe he'll get into it a little bit more. Um, I, I don't know what it means. Right. I mean, you know, you got Jeff Ferris out there um, available. Um, his wife's from East Tennessee. They're expecting their first child. They're actually going to have twins. I, I think they, I think he would very much, um, like the thought, and she likes the thought of coming home. You know, yeah. that doesn't mean he'd automatically take the job, but we'll see. Um, Sean Luttrell or Literal, however you pronounce his last name, I don't think it's landed anywhere yet. Maybe, maybe Josh Heupel's waiting to see what happens there. I know that he wanted an OC job, um, or, or maybe in the NFL, you know, so I don't know where his interest is. Maybe his interest in Tennessee is growing a little bit, they have an in house candidate. Um, I know there's a lot of people around Josh Heupel, you know, confidence and friends of his and people who, you know, I've talked to him and, and people have suggested, and I agree with this. I, I think the recruiting element is really paramount in this hire. Um, and that's not to say Alec Aben can't coach. I, I don't know that. But I just think that to answer Crawdad's question, he was asking what we just talked about. They've got to recruit well. And they didn't recruit bad this year. And any, any notion out there that's been presented out there that – they didn't live up to a standard in recruiting this year. I, I don't buy that, but moving forward, they have to continue to grow and elevate recruiting and, and continue to recruit well. And I think getting another recruiter on the staff is, is, is a big part of that personally. Timetable, I don't have one. Yeah, and again, like you said, on the offensive and defensive line because it still remains a line of scrimmage league. It might be an offensive league now, but it's still a line of scrimmage league. you got to win in the trenches. Uh, we'll go from Tennessee football to Tennessee basketball. Another top 10 win inside the friendly confines of Thompson Bowling Arena. Tennessee comes out over top of UT. The real UT, that being Tennessee. That's what they said this weekend. 82-71 over Texas. Rob Lewis will join us to break down all of that from the SEC Big 12 Challenge when we return right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. Your VolQuest.com and the VolQuest YouTube channel every single Sunday night at 8 o'clock Eastern. We are live here on the YouTube channel until 9 o'clock Eastern. Brent Hubs, I'm Eric Kane. And now that man that joined the party, that's Rob Lewis. He was inside Thompson Bowling Arena yesterday covering Tennessee's 82-71 win over Texas. The fifth straight top 10 win inside uh, TBA, Rob. And it was a game, in my opinion, I talked to Brent about this yesterday, where you know Tennessee really needed to get because some of the, the, the powers in the SEC are down this year a little bit. Not many opportunities to get really good wins left on the schedule for right now. And Yesterday was uh, one of those over Texas, 82-271. Yeah, it's going to be one of the only two chances Tennessee has to get a top 10 win the rest of the way. I mean, the other one being when Alabama comes here um, in a couple of weeks for a midweek game. But so, you know, if you wanted to, to put a little 
gold star on your postseason resume, then you know, Tennessee really needed to get that one. And, and they did. And I thought they got it in an emphatic fashion. Um, nothing fluky about it. And actually, I mean, the game was not as close as that 11 point, you know, final margin seemed to indicate. Olivier Comois really, really shined. 27 points. That was easily high, but he also had eight rebounds. Uh, Zakai Ziegler is showing right there. Uh, double 22 points and 10 assists. The play from those two guys, but specifically Olivier in that first half, it felt like he couldn't miss there for a good stretch of the first half. Well, he, he, he couldn't miss. <laughs> it didn't just feel like it. Uh, yeah, I mean, he had 14 points in the first half, and just and everything was pretty easy. I mean, I give Ziegler a lot of credit for that. I don't know how many of, of Zakai's 10 assists went to Olivier, but it was a good chunk. And what he did so well yesterday, I mean, he really did a great job at carving out position. I mean, if you look at some of those shots he's hitting, I don't, I bet he didn't, maybe one or two were outside 10 feet. Um, I mean, he was, as Coach Barnes likes to say, he was doing his work early. He was carving out space for himself and, um, you know, showed, showed that really nice soft touch. And, you know, he's just, and me and Brent talked about this last night, too. I mean, he's just an, an enigma. I mean, you look at, what he did and you know just dominated a, a top 10 game and it's the first time he's been in double digits in almost a month and the question is rob can i mean he's a senior so it's hard to say boy he's turned the corner and this is suddenly going to be not that he's going to score 27 every night but you're going to see a guy with this kind of uh, assertiveness on the offensive end of the floor uh doing work to get the ball where it's it's hard to say that's it right he figured it out he figured it out saturday night i mean it's just and I'm not trying to pick on him or be mean. It's just hard to sit here after this, after an entire career, basically, and say, okay, it, it all, it's all clicked for him now, right? Oh yeah, I, I, I don't believe this is a light bulb went on moment. I would, I won't be surprised if he scores five points Wednesday night in Gainesville, you know, and takes four shots. But it, it's beyond obvious to say when, when he does show up and turn in a twenty-plus point performance, Tennessee's really good. I mean, because. Rick always wants to play inside out, even if that means, you know, even if you take a bunch of three-pointers, he wants, you know, to start inside and, and you know, work the ball, make the defense react. Um, and if Olivier is is doing that, man, that, that really opens a lot of things up for, for Tennessee's perimeter players where, where they're, frankly, a lot more talented. Yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting last night, Rob, that it's like everybody on the floor recognized that Olivier was in a zone, right? Like, like they – I mean – you look at the previous game that, that they had played and, and it took them to 60 points to, to get anybody into double digits. And there was a point in, in time in that game uh, against Texas last night where it was going through his hands. Like it was like, okay, he's hot, get him the ball. I mean, you know, good recognition by everybody on the team. It wasn't about spreading the wealth. It was like, give him the ball and let him score. Yeah. Um, and I, mean, I, I just think Sign of a mature team, Hover. I mean, they, they do that. I mean, they, they root for each other. Um, and, you know, those guys knew Olivier had it going. And, and just like you say, I mean, I don't, I don't have a lot to add. They were going to go to him. But, you know, I, I think that's that's one of the good characteristics of this team is they are really unselfish. They root for each other. So, I mean, guys were enjoying the fact that, you know, Olivier was, was having such a great night. And, you know, they wanted to kind of, you know, see what heights they could push him to. But, um, you know, low post scoring has not been – the strength for this team, and, and when, when when they get it like they did last night, it's I mean, I mean they're tough to beat. They only made six three pointers, yeah, in, in a game. If you you know if you knew that going in uh, before they played Texas, you're probably thinking, wow, you know, going to be could be a tough night for the Vols. Yeah, but, uh, 
you, you pointed out something in, in the full court press. I went back and watched it today in, in that sequence where there was a sequence where Zakai had an eight Oh run. I think it was something like that. Maybe a 10 Oh run. They, he, he was just, it was a three and maybe two threes in a row. And then he got two baskets kind of sandwiched in there. They had like four field goals yep. really quick. And then he came down and he had another wide open look, but he passed that look up, which to me shows just unbelievable growth for, for a sophomore who's, who's, I, we talked about this two weeks ago. Has this become his team? completely in charge to pass up that open look after what he had just done, basically on four consecutive possessions to get a better look for Santiago. The maturity Zakai Ziegler's playing with right now is kind of off the, I don't know that we've had a, seen a point guard at Tennessee play with the maturity he's played with for three or four games. Now, the way he has, I tell you, Hubbard, the only thing, I mean, and I'm not, I had to get, get in the way back machine. CJ Watson was playing at a pretty high level. Um, when Bruce, when, when Bruce inherited him that last year, but I don't know that. I mean, he, he was not as electric as a guy. I don't. I don't think he was the, you know, the defensive instigator. I mean, different players. I mean, CJ was six four. He was long. Um, you know, didn't have the quickness and and kind of burst that this Zakai has. But as far as playing the position really well, I would have to go back to, to CJ because I don't. I don't think Jordan Bone got there. I mean, Kennedy Chandler as a freshman did did not get there. Um, so no, he's he's just putting on an absolute clinic right now. And his head coach last night, I mean, you know, that, that guy's not throwing around, you know, empty compliments. I mean, Rick said this point blank after the game last night that he, he's got to be one of the best point guards in the country, if not the best point guard right now. Rob, you had pretty high praise there from Texas head coach. You spent a lot of time with Rick Barnes, you know, back in, back in the heyday, Rodney Terry. Pretty much say, you know, Tennessee has all the ingredients of being a Final Four team. He's coached on a Final Four team. He knows what it looks like. I know March is not right now, but Tennessee basketball playing at a really good clip and finding depth. And would you agree with that with that statement that Tennessee has the ingredients of what a Final Four team looks like? You just obviously have to go out there and do it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't argue with that. But, but this is it's not the only time that, that you know, Tennessee's yeah. had a team that was capable of making the Final Four. And, and yet we're sitting here and, and they haven't hung a banner. Haven't have hung the first Final Four banner in that arena yet for the men's program, but yeah, um, they absolutely are. I mean, they, they've got the defense that you can just hang your hat on that you know is going to be there every night out. We've just been talking about point guard. You know, you, you've got to have great point guard play in a tournament. I don't know that anybody's getting better point guard play than Tennessee right now, and they always talk about veteran guards. Who has more veteran guards out there than Tennessee does? You know, Josiah and Santi have played together forever. You know, Zakai is just a sophomore, but he's a veteran. Tyreek Key, you know, he's new to this team, but he's played a lot of basketball over the years. Olivier, senior. I mean, Tennessee has the pieces. They have the ingredients. But, you know, as every, anybody listening to this knows, that's, that doesn't necessarily mean anything come, come March. Rob, Rob, Rob why Chris, is this – go ahead, Eric. Go ahead, sorry, sorry. Brent. I was going to say, while Chris has got Rick Barnes up there, you know, obviously this, this game meant something to him, right? He won't – he won't flat out go out there and say, hey, there's a little bit more extra in the tank whenever I play Texas. I mean, that's not the case. That's not who Rick Barnes is. But, I mean, he was there for 17 seasons and had a couple of Elite Eight teams, had a Final Four run. You go up, it was a sloppy game last year in this challenge, and you come up short there towards the end. But you handle this Texas team this year. I mean, I feel like this had to mean something for Rick Barnes, whether he'll admit it or not. Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah. he will not admit it, but 100%. Uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's, just, it's not just another game. And, you know, a lot of that is – in, in not I mean, just people that he still knows, you know, there and 
you know, in the, in the community that are, that are around the university and not, you know, I, I don't think he's, I don't, I don't think he has any hard feelings at the university. I mean, the people that were involved and, in, you know, him being dismissed or have long since been dismissed themselves, but still has a, a lot of really close friends. And, you know, you just wouldn't, you know, like your, your neighbor when you're growing up or your, or your, or your brother, I mean, you could be close to somebody and still want to beat them. And uh, I think that was certainly the case with him this weekend. Rob, I want to go back to the defense as a part of the a piece of this puzzle for for Tennessee. While, while people are going to be talking about them as a contender for the Final Four, Tennessee's had good teams, right? Grant, Admiral, Kyle Alexander. You know, um, a lot of those teams had a lot of parts to where they could be a good defensive team. Why is this Rick Barnes's best defensive team? Why is this team better than those teams that had a lot of the lot of similar parts to be able to guard one through four and do a lot of different things. Why is this team better or his best defensive team since he's been at Tennessee? I I mean, I I don't know that this is absolutely the correct answer, but I mean, I I think it's the guards. I don't think that Tennessee had, I mean, Lamonte Turner was a, was really good on the ball. Jordan bone could be really good on the ball. I don't know that they had, I I don't know that I would put them there with Santiago and, and Zakai. I think those two kids are our next level. I mean, they're not that anybody else was it, but I mean, they're 100% bought into Rick Barnes to how he, how he wants to play. And um, I also don't know that they've had a guy like Josiah um, who was such a Swiss army knife. I mean, they've had better, you know, maybe, you know, better defenders, I would say, but I don't know if they've had a guy who, who legitimately could got, could guard, you know, to the shooting guard, the small forward, the power forward and, and not really, be at a disadvantage. Um, and, and Grant Williams, one of my all-time favorite balls, but not a great defensive player, you know, when he was here. And, I, and I'm and i not saying that he didn't try, or I'm not saying that at all. I mean, Grant was a great effort kid. But I, I just wonder if having, you know, your best player, not you know, he wasn't a weak link. If, but you know what I'm saying, Hubbard? Like, I, I think Tennessee's best players are great defenders on this team. And, and – I don't know that that was the case with those Grant and Admiral teams. Does, is this just a case where this group of guys just likes to play defense more than those guys do? Did? I think that's probably part of it. I, I think that's, you know, I mean, Admiral and Grant would, would you know, cut their arm off to win a game. But they're oh, just, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not, but, but I don't know that, that I, I, I like your point. I don't know that they love to play defense. I mean, they understood, you know, that it was, you know, you had to sell out on that and that it was a big part of winning. But I mean, I think like Zakai. I think Zakai loves to just you know get all up in his man. But I, mean, I think Santi loves to you know just absolutely get pain do. in the rear end. Yeah, I, I think both those kids love that aspect of it. Well, it shows because I mean they're I mean what they did to Texas in the first half defensively was and and look they've been good all year defensively and they got more challenges coming but they they've been really, really consistent. You go back to that Kentucky game. They weren't bad defensively in the Kentucky game. They were a train wreck offensively. But, I mean, Rob, they haven't had many bad days defensively since Colorado, right? No. I'd say they probably have not had anything I would call a bad day. I mean, even that that Kentucky game, Kentucky shot 34% from the field. Tennessee just couldn't, couldn't rebound the ball. Yeah. Hey, Rob, what's the early scout on Florida? Tennessee's on the road Wednesday to take on Florida and then Auburn back at TBA on Saturday and then out the door if you want to answer Austin's question uh, about what the final record could be, seeing at least two more losses on the schedule. Mm. Man, I just – final record-wise, I mean, you you would think there's going to be two more losses, but 
I mean, you say you say Auburn and Kentucky, and I don't think those are guaranteed losses. I just watched Texas A&M go in there and just you know, beat the brakes off Auburn the other night. And, I mean, I think A&M's decent, but you know they're they're not just out of control. Can't you know Kansas team that Tennessee's already beaten went into Rupp and beat that schizophrenic you know, basketball team that, that, that they have up there. I mean, who knows what you're going to get. Yeah. I, I would pencil them. I would say, you know, two two more losses in the regular season seems likely, but. So I'm, about I'm, 30%, right, Rob? Yeah, about 30%. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I, I don't know where, I mean, Tennessee could, they could run the table. You know, I, I think that's unlikely, but it wouldn't just floor me. Yeah. Two, two things about Auburn and, and Alabama. I mean, if those two teams can't make three point jump shots, well, they're 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 different, and and Auburn's having a hard time scoring the ball from the perimeter for the last couple of weeks, and Alabama's played two games in a row where they're having a hard time getting the ball going in going in the bucket from the outside. Now, you think that you think Alabama will get it back, Rob? But if those two teams aren't making perimeter jump shots, then then they're a very different team than they looked three or four weeks ago. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I had a chance to watch most of that Alabama game. Woo! against Oklahoma, and it was just, just ugly. I mean, you know, and that, that happens sometimes. I mean, you know, I don't know. If, I think Nate Oates' job is probably safe for now, but, I mean, that, that happens in college basketball. I can remember it happened in Tennessee at Alabama. Yep, lost uh, by 28. Uh, four or five. I mean, it, and it was a really good Tennessee team. I think it was Grant's uh, – I can't remember if it was Grant's sophomore or junior year. But, anyway, that, I mean, Tennessee was good. Alabama was very average and – you know, Tennessee just got down, went down there and, and, and got run out of the building, kind of like what happened to Alabama and Norman yesterday. Rob, we appreciate it as always. What do you got coming up this basketball watch? Did, did, did anybody morning, just right? see the T? Did anybody just see the T Higgins catch? I'm seeing it right now. Hold on. Wow. I'm He's sorry pretty to, good. I'm sorry to interrupt regular schedule programming, but that that one that one deserved a shout out. Here's well, a, here's a new news flash. T Higgins is pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good football player. Yeah, Bengals are going to have the an Cowboys interesting kicker. When the Cowboys field goal line, I don't know if everybody know because that was breaking news. Uh, Rob, what do you got coming up this week? Three, two, one tomorrow. And what else, basketball wise? I will be breaking down that Florida game uh, Wednesday. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's going to be a super tough road trip. Gators are a little down this year. A lot of roster turnover after the coaching change, and um, you know, staying on top of what looks like. What, what do you guys think? Two, number, number two, or number three tomorrow. I think they're going to be two. Who do you got? Purdue and who? And Purdue. I mean, Houston played like crap at home against Cincinnati, but they didn't lose. So I don't know if Tennessee did enough to jump them or, or not. But three three at the worst, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're the they're moving up one spot, if not two. I think they may get two spots. Of course, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule it out. If I'm Rick Barnes, I'm perfectly content staying right where I'm at. Yep. Same here. Rob, we appreciate it as always, man. Thanks so much. All right, gents. Bye bye. See you, Dad. So Rob Lewis of AllQuest.com, breaking down everything Tennessee basketball, the number four volunteers, at least for a couple more hours. We'll see where they are in the AP poll coming out tomorrow. As the guys just said, they're likely moving up at least once, but it's going to be a top five team uh, no matter what. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to take your questions. We're going to get into some uh, Vols and All-Star games. The NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, that took place over the weekend. There was one volunteer in action there. Shrine Bowls on Thursday. The Reese's Senior Bowl is coming up on Saturday. Who doubted Mobile that? Your questions, a whole lot more. It's coming up next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane, Brent Hubs, every Sunday night, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Time on the VolQuest YouTube channel. Please subscribe to that channel and like this video right now if you haven't already, but we do appreciate you guys for hanging out. We're going to get into your questions. Super Chats get up to the front of the line, and here in about 5, 10 minutes, we're going to get into some recruiting, talking about Junior Day with our very own Matt Ray. Hey, Brent, there is All-Star Games going on right now. Latrell Bumpus took part in the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl over at the Rose Bowl over the weekend. Uh, he got in there and saw some action. You'll have the Shrine Bowl coming up on Thursday. Jerome Carvin, Jeremy Banks, and Princeton Fant will take part in that game. It's interesting. Two of those guys are on the same team, while Princeton Fant is on the other team, I guess, trying to shake out the numbers there. But I, I always found that interesting whenever it's an East-West game. And then for the Reese's Senior Bowl, you'll have uh, Darnell Wright and Byron Young playing in that football game and Hinden Hooker down there uh, taking part in meetings and everything. It's a great opportunity for all those guys, obviously, because it's not it's not just about the game. It's really about the week leading up to the quote-unquote game, the practice reps, the one-on-ones, and meeting with a lot of general managers, uh, director of player personnel, some head coaches will be there. It's a good opportunity for some of these guys to get some money. Yeah, no doubt. And and it's about how you practice, your practice habits. I mean, think about it out in Las Vegas uh, at the Shrine Bowl out there. You got NFL staffs working that now. You got the Patriots out there. Then they'll be down, you know, for the Senior Bowl to do evaluations as well. So it's not just about what you do in the game. The game doesn't really matter. It's about the week leading up to the game, how you practice and kind of where your knowledge is and, and what you're about. So it, it's certainly a chance to help yourself and um, you know, Byron Young, I'll be curious to see how much they work him in different spots. They work him in open space, kind of up, more upright, you know, look at him as a bit of an outside backer in the three, four that walks up to a four man front some, because let's face it, he's not Joey Bosa, right? He's not, he's not a prototypical end. So how does he play? What's his position look like in the NFL? I think it's something that's going to be a storyline at the senior bowl this week. I think Darnell Wright's got a chance to, to help himself and Darnell probably has to help himself, Eric, more in conversations with NFL people than he does with what he does in terms of his play on the field. I think athletically he'll test out great. I think he'll practice and play well, but nobody's heard the guy talk in two years. Yeah. Right. So does that mean you have a perception that you're a, you're a jerk or you're a bad guy or you're a problem or, or, you know, you got to change the narrative about your personality a little bit if you're Darnell Wright. So how you converse with people this week is a big deal for Darnell Wright. Just in casual conversation, not in formal meetings, but just in casual conversations, because nobody knows Darnell Wright's personality, in my opinion. I, I don't think the NFL has any idea who Darnell Wright the person is. And so that's important for him this week, in my opinion. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, outside of the ball club confidential, 
I don't I don't think he's made any appearances into the media. Not not on Tuesdays and Wednesdays when we're he, there. So in the uh, in the open locker room, Patrick Brown and I got him in the back corner for about three or four minutes right before they were closing the locker room for just a couple of minutes to talk about some things. But that's it. He, he did that. He did Vol Club Confidential. That's the only time you've heard from him in in two years. Yeah, so I would agree with that as well because I mean he's he's so young. He's been a, you know four year starter here at Tennessee and. Um, it was very close to coming back and playing another year, taking advantage of that, that COVID year and coming back. But um, I, I think he has an opportunity to really help himself. And um, another guy that's going to be down there with them is Byron Young, as we mentioned. And earlier last week, uh, the latest mock draft, and there's been tons of mock drafts, and there'll be, to- there'll be more mock drafts from all these NFL analysts and all that. But uh, the OG of mock drafts, Mel Kuyper Jr., he projected that Byron Young would go 20th overall. Yes, in the first round to a team that has a history of taking pass rushers from Tennessee, Daryl Taylor in 2019, uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I found that very interesting. Good for BY. Of course, that's not set in stone, of course, but I thought that spoke highly of Byron Young's potential in this draft and how big of a week this could be for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I was stunned to see his name uh, there. And that's not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything bad about Byron Young. I, again, I think the question is where exactly does he play because he was an edge guy at Tennessee he's not prototypical edge guy build. He's not built like Daryl Taylor. He's not six foot five. You know, he's not a, he's, he's, he's not that kind of guy. So um, where exactly does he play in the NFL, which is why this week is is important for him. And uh, I was surprised to see his name there, but I'm surprised to see Anthony Richardson's name in the top 10 from Florida. Well, Will Levis should ask Rob. But, but, but Levis has been there for a year and a half, right? I mean, Anthony Richardson, I mean, I know it's not a great year for quarterbacks, but um, I, I just, you know, we'll see. I think, I think that, you know, this week we'll tell a lot about some guys and then we'll see where some guys come through with, with pro days and, and that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I love Byron Young. I love his story. I love everything about him. I hope he goes 20th. I hope he goes 12th. You know, I hope he has a great week and makes, I was just surprised to see his name. Um, I would not have, I would not have had him as the first, one of the first two balls drafted but maybe one of the first three Vols drafted in the draft when, when you look at where Tennessee's at right now. So I was really surprised to see that one. No, I completely agree. But, hey, that, that, that'd be great for Tennessee. You know, there was, there was a lot of buzz there towards the late of the first round, early second for Jalen Hyde about a month ago. Uh, Darnell Wright, I think, will continue to climb up the boards. Awesome price to set for quite some time that it wouldn't shock him whatsoever if Darnell Wright sneaks in the first round. So there's going to be a lot of love there for the Volunteers um, in this draft. I, I – Mel Kiber Jr. put out uh, his first 31 picks. There's um, the Dolphins first, so that's the the mock I'm referencing. And on three, put out a graphic of those projected top 10 picks. I don't have it in front of me, but Tennessee played six of the top 10 in that projection. <laughs> would have played seven of the top 10 if Miles Murphy of Clemson would have played in that Orange Bowl. Uh, I think that speaks volumes of the schedule and, of course, the talent that his right around here in the SEC – Albeit Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, eh, don't know if they should be in the top 10. Last thing on this, Brent, um, Hendon Hooker is going to be down there. He accepted his invitation, um, and he's going to be down there. He can't play in this football game, but a big week for him to watch, uh, to talk strategy, to talk ball, sit in on meetings. Uh, again, this kind of goes back to where there's a lot more than just the game, and he, he can't go out there and throw, which is unfortunate, but there's still something for him to get out of this Reese's Senior Bowl. Yeah, I think he can help himself. I mean, you know, because, look, it's going to take a team willing to take a chance on Hendon Hooker and, and be patient with him through the recovery process. And, 
you know, one of the things that NFL, I mean, that, that position more than any other position gets the scrutiny of everything between your ears. Right. I mean, that, yeah. that's so important about where it's at. And, um, you know, I think Hendon Hooker can certainly help himself in conversations with, with NFL scouts that, you know, they can look at him and go, you know what? He's, he's, you know, he's a year, he's two years away, three years away, whatever. He's going to be a great representative of our organization. You, you know where he's at in terms of work ethic, what he's all about, um, what kind of teammate he's going to be. All those things he can help himself with uh, this week, even though he can't throw the football. So I think it's a smart move for, for him to go down there and spend some time and visit with those guys and um, get in meetings, get on the chalkboard with everybody and, and everything else. Because the, the reality for Hendon Hooker is once this week is over, because he can't have a pro day, because he's not going to the combine, he'll get he'll get forgotten about a little bit, right? Yep. I mean, he's probably not going to get on the, the planes and travel the country to do a bunch of, you know, visits with teams, you know, like, like some other guys are going to be. So I think it's smart of him to get down there this week and get in front of as many of those guys as he can get in front of. Talking about Vols who will become VFLs in the NFL one day, one VFL in the NFL that – Unfortunately, his season came to an end earlier today uh, with Juwan Jennings. Ball guy 23 wants to know, are you surprised San Francisco didn't put Juwan at quarterback considering all the issues they had in that game and this year? <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't put Christian McCaffrey at the Wildcat or, or Debo Samuel at the Wildcat or yeah. something. I mean, when, when it's hard it's hard to win a, a football game when your quarterback can't throw up more than 10 yards. Yep. You know, I mean, when, when it becomes that your offense, your passing offense is a screen game, and that's all you got. And McCaffrey you, was phenomenal. You know, you, you have no chance. And so I, I'm a little surprised the the genius wizardry that is Kyle Shanahan didn't draw up something at the half. Maybe not for full time, Eric, but but something where it was either Jennings or it was McCaffrey in the Wildcat or Debo Samuel in the Wildcat to do something a bit different to try to help yourself out because they were just they were just one arm behind their back, almost two yeah. arms behind their back at the quarterback position. And I mean, everybody knew it, you know, and, and it just made it easy for Philadelphia to defend him. Yeah. It was never going to be Juwan Jennings, but again, I, it's unfortunate. No. Um, I thought San Francisco was still the better team. Hey, let's go ahead and bring Matt Ray on right here. We'll go to the top of the hour. Uh, Matt Ray, Volquest.com was over there with us covering junior day, kind of leading the, leading the charge there, Brent. We were, we were there doing what Matt told us to do. I get Matt out of the way. I know my place. <laughs> Matt, Tennessee had its second junior day in the month of January. Um, some didn't make it, but a lot of talent did make it. And I think the conversation starts with Cam Franklin and then and then Jordan Marshall. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Eric. But we would um, you probably should start talking recruiting without the biggest recruiting storyline of the weekend, and that's after a two week official visit to Hawaii. Austin Price is back in East Tennessee wearing his Peter Millar Vol Quest. So, so, so we're saying he's pulled out of the transfer portal. Is that how we're going? Is that how we're going to convey that, Matt? I think that's how we have to. I think that's how we have Ball to. Volquest can go on. Hey, let let <laughs> let me say this. He did not leverage me or hostage me for more nil money. Another <laughs> Peter Millar shirt, maybe, but not more nil money. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I think you're right, Eric. I think it starts with with Cam Franklin and and Jordan Marshall. Cam Franklin got in a little late. Um, but was still able to see the basketball game. And coming into the weekend for him, the big thing was, you know, he had told me earlier in the week was he wanted to see if he felt, felt like he was a priority to Tennessee. And and in just a few short hours he was there on Saturday, he got that question answered, got a lot of attention from Ronnie Garner, Josh Heupel, 
and, and he felt like the Vols made him a priority during those few short hours. Stayed overnight and, and came back in this morning for a little while and enjoyed that as well. And then Jordan Marshall, um, you and I both talked with him after his visit, but, um, you know, he continues to relate well with Jerry Mack. And one of the things that, you know, I think stood out in the conversation with him is that he talked about how Tennessee's continued to show him that they're just not this pass-heavy offense, you know, and that he can see a fit inside of that system. So, obviously, he's probably hearing that, you know, a little bit in terms of negative recruiting. There's some schools trying to sell him on that. And, you know, he's he's been around the Tennessee program. You can see that his comfort level is growing a little bit, um, you know, as he continues to get back to Knoxville. Uh, for Tennessee in that one, he's, he's going to cut his list sooner than later, he told us, but didn't really want to specify on when. Um, but you have to kind of expect Tennessee to be in that one right now. Yeah, Pretty tough to negative recruit a running back right now when you're a team that led the nation in rushing touchdowns, and for two years you've averaged over 200 yards on the ground a game. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It, it, he's a guy that he Tennessee's going to be able to feed him those goal line yeah. touches like Jabari Small gets if he comes to Tennessee. And, you know, I think he's starting to see more of that and, and weigh that pitch out. So, I mean, that's why he continues to get to campus. It had been a little while for him. Um, he, he was most recently in town for the Florida game. So, to have the chance to get back there, look at some film, go through some things, and, and kind of catch up on where things were and see how the season went was important to him. Matt, big picture question here, not, not specifically to, to guys – uh, that were here. I know you had posted you posted your notes of kind of some junior day thoughts last night. But but a big picture here. We we were just talking about all star games. How important do you think it is um, for Tennessee to 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 continue to recruit beyond the, the the just the idea of ten wins that some of these guys show up in all star games and, and and really improve their draft stock over the course of the next couple of months getting ready to, for the NFL draft. Do you, you think that's a big deal for Tennessee from a recruiting standpoint moving forward? Yeah, I think so. You know, again, we, we've talked about it on here a couple of times. You know, you can you can talk about real money versus NIL money, and it's all, at the end of the day, it's all real money, and, and kids are, you know, able to benefit from that. But the long-term development and being able to point to that success, I think, is still, you know, vital for any program to continue to take those steps. And for Tennessee, I think it's very important because um, I think, again, you know, let's go back to Jordan Marshall right there for a second. You know, looking at the potential that he's hearing that Tennessee's his pass-heavy, potentially gimmicky offense, you know, if, if Tennessee's able to produce a running back in, in the draft, you know, next year, how, do, how does that help with guys moving forward? So same thing, I think, you know, when you look at the offensive tackle position, the edge position, Tennessee stacks some edges, you know, here in the first two years. Um, but th they need to produce there now. They, it, it would be big for Tennessee to get Byron Young up into that mid-second round, potentially creep into the first round like you guys were talking about. So the impact of January junior days I think is a little bit debated as well. Um, you know, Tennessee had some guys, some good players in, no, no yeah. doubt. Um, had some guys who were said they were going to come in who didn't come in. Uh, which is always a bit of a concern. They had a bunch of really good guys in during the season to see the Florida game and see the Alabama game. W what are the importance – and, look, anytime you can get a guy on campus, I understand it's important. But what's the importance of a January junior day versus um, 
an unofficial visit in season or an unofficial visit during spring practice? Is is one more valuable than the other, you know, Matt, in your opinion? You know, that's tough, Brent. I don't know. I, I mean, I think you see guys like a Bronte Johnson last night who you're really able to, you know, get your foot in the door with and show some extra attention to, you know, uh, compared to those game days. But I think those visits in, in the spring, you know, early during spring practice where you can still have some time to recruit those guys, you can show them, you know, some product on the field. Um, it's a little bit more laid back. I think those, you know, maybe have a little bit more importance than a January junior day does. But, you know, again, um, the month of January is so chaotic, you know, I think in a lot of ways for, for guys, you know, you have guys playing basketball, you wrestling, you know, travel plans, what's the weather like, you know, you haven't had a weekend off, you're just, you know, some of these guys are fresh off a, a deep, you know, playoff run that maybe ended in late November, December, and, you know, you go into the holidays, feels like you haven't had a break. So I think it's tough to gauge, you know, somebody off of a January junior day and where their interest is. But yeah, I, like you said, anytime you can get somebody on campus, it's important. But for me, I, I think the January junior day is maybe a little lower on the totem pole than those game day atmospheres and, uh, you know, those spring practice type visits. Because Tennessee's obviously carrying momentum from the Florida and Alabama games that were in September and October, you know, respectively. Matt, Tennessee had a couple of big offensive tackles on campus yesterday. You and I stood next to them and had to, had to look straight up. But uh, two yeah. of those, Ethan Callaway, and then one that Wayne wants to ask about right now, uh, Kevin Haywood. What's Tennessee's chances with a guy like Kevin Haywood early on? And, of course, after that, if you would go into Ethan Callaway, both of – which were on campus yesterday. Yeah, I was I was impressed with both of those guys physically. Um, they're definitely, you know, at that six seven range where you know the their profiles say they are. Look like they can add plenty to their frame. Haywood especially, um, but but both of those guys physically were what you. You know, I have seen Tennessee want to recruit at that offensive tackle position, and I think Tennessee, you know, has done a good job with Kevin Haywood here early. Um, they offered, got him down for a visit. Um, you know, continue to have good conversation with him. Uh, you get him back here uh, to end out January, and, and he told you and I that he planned to be, you know, back down in the spring. So I think Tennessee has established, you know, solid footing there. You know, Glenn Ellerby stopped by the school to, to check in on him, you know, recently. So all of that's meant a lot to him, and I think he's certainly feeling like he's a priority to Tennessee, and they gave him a lot of attention yesterday. You ask about Callaway as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he's a guy, you know, Tennessee offered, you know, kind of recently, and uh, Tennessee able to show him a lot of attention yesterday. He he checked out of the visit a little bit earlier. They, they had had a little bit of, a, you know, a longer day in terms of travel. Um, but, you know, he, came, he was planning to come back over this morning. And like he told us, it was important for him to get to campus because he doesn't consider a school – a real contender until he gets to campus. And he was impressed with that first look at Tennessee and is another guy that plans to be back in the spring and, and really talked like um, that he plans to give Tennessee an official visit. If, if, if that's something that they, you know, want to pursue, you know, moving forward. Hey Matt, we talked about these offensive tackles and we, we spoke on Jordan Marshall earlier, but kind of on that note with the running backs also wants to know, What's the deal with running back recruiting, getting worried with these no-shows? There were a couple of different running backs who said they were coming. Believe, unless we found out differently, Marshall might have been the only one that made it in. 
Yeah, as far as I know, um, Marshall was the only one that made it in. And, you know, I don't, again, you know, looking at these January junior days, travel plans change. You know, it's it's tough sometimes to get these kids up here, you know, to end out a month. They know they've got a dead period coming. You know, things are going to slow down a little bit. Daniel Hill's a guy that Tennessee, you know, had hoped to get in. He had expressed interest that he was coming. Uh, he did that the first junior day as well. And, and sometimes travel plans like I said, just don't work out. But Tennessee's continued to have good dialogue there. Um, all of the IMG Academy kids, for the most part, yesterday, you know, kind of switched gears and, and went over to Florida um, last minute. So Jarrett Gibson was a guy that, you know, there was potential that he could come in. But, um, you know, they, they chose to stay closer to, to IMG and, and checked out Florida. So it, it's just tough on, on those unofficial visits to get guys. And I don't think there's any concern right now at that running back position in terms of recruiting Tennessee's, you know, in it for, for Jordan Marshall. They, they have built a strong rapport with Daniel Hill. So they'll get, you know, some of these guys in in the spring for sure. Cassie wants to know about wide receiver recruiting um, and, and the wide receivers where, where Tennessee's at. Uh, do they got some guys that are recruiting who are the next Jalen Hyatts? We've, we've talked about Nathan Laycock, who's already here, obviously, and he, he's made some early impressions. Uh, but Tennessee had, in the first junior day, a couple big-time receivers in town. It seems like that Jalen Hyatt's performance has gotten the attention of some guys around the country, right? Oh, yeah. You know, no, no doubt. I mean, when you look at the guys that have been in and expressed interest to come in, and you know, Jalen Hyatt is – Bolitnikoff season has impressed some guys. You, you get Ron Wingo up here multiple times. Um, you have Mike Matthews choose to come to Tennessee over going to Georgia, you know, for their national championship parade when he's only about 40 minutes from Athens. Um, and, and to answer your question, Cassie, I think that in terms of a talent standpoint to, to Jalen Hyde, that's kind of hard to compare, but, you know, Ron, Ron Wingo is a guy that's very talented that has a, a case to be one of the top receivers in the country already is he's ranked as the fifth best receiver in the country, but could arguably be the top receiver in the country. Mike Matthews is a guy that has a chance to be the top player in the country. I think when it's all said and done. So both those guys have a really high ceiling and, and a really low floor in my opinion, but you know, overall Tennessee has a, has, has done a solid job of recruiting you know, the receiver position here early in 2024. Uh, Bronte Johnson's a guy that, that snuck into campus yesterday that's quietly a top 100 guy that can stretch the field vertically. J.J. Harrell, another guy that can stretch the field vertically and do those things that Tennessee likes. So, so Tennessee could end up having some decisions to make, you know, at, at that receiver position as things go. Hey, Matt, kind of set the scene in terms of the recruiting calendar over the next couple of months. January's junior days are done uh, for this month. Obviously, there'll be another one in March. And then, of course, spring practice where you hope to get a bunch of more of these guys on hand to, to watch the practice or two. Yeah, so February will be dead. Um, and I think everybody's probably going to you know welcome that. You've got some coaches, you know, that are probably ready to catch their breath. You know, some guys seeing – 11 states and you know six seven days so that's that's a lot you know when you look at that recruiting calendar but yeah it, after this you're going to see guys in february go back and process and and start to trim their list you know from 10 to 5 or you know 10 to 3 and, and start focusing on where they want to get early in the spring 
and, and then start working towards those official visits as they start opening up in April. So it's it, it's going to seem like a slow period, but in terms of the mental process for a lot of these kids, it's going to be important. It's, it's you know, going to be trying to decide what schools they're wanting to focus in on and, and where they want to see once things open up in the spring. And some of these kids are going to take six, seven visits in the spring as, as soon as things get rolling. So it's once March hits, it's going to be wide open. And let me say this too. I, I'm all about you know, the recruiting calendar needing to get fixed because it's hard on coaches. Coaches aren't helping themselves with some of this too. I, I'm not real. I don't understand why you have to go see all of your signees play some game or some sport in the month of January. They're, they're, they're signed. Like, like help yourself out a little bit, you know? I mean, are we really worried about guys asking out of their national letter because you didn't come watch them play a basketball game in January after they signed in December? I'm seeing more coaches, not just Tennessee, but coaches around the country, Matt, going and checking in on their signees. Like, I don't, I don't grasp, I don't grasp that one. <laughs> that, 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 to me, that's not helping yourself manage a month of trying to avoid 11 states in six days. Yeah, no, I, I'm like you. I mean, I don't, I don't understand that one either. I mean, I, I, I guess I get it to an extent, but it's like, come on, like you said, they're signed. You know, I mean, are you going to have to, you know, babysit them all the way to, to May when they get here if they're not an early enrollee? I, I guess that's the case, but and that's that's tough. Yeah, you're not you're you've got to help yourself sometimes. <laughs> hey, Matt, as always, man, appreciate it. Great work this weekend with the Junior Day. Hey, thanks, guys. Enjoyed working with you. Thanks, Matt, Matt Ray of AllQuest.com, a great addition to this team. And as Ben points out, hey, you know, Matt. Maybe maybe a new Austin. Grant is, is kind of like a Rob. Someone planning to retire. Brent, how I respond to that? No, you're not. Don't even don't even joke like that. <laughs> no one's planning to retire, but iron sharp, sharpens iron, man. You're you're building a juggernaut here and it's been a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go sleep for a while. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say this, Brent literally showed up yesterday and was like, All right, let me know if you need anything. <laughs> so that's fun. Know your role, right? Don't get in the way. I'm just trying not to get in the way. That's what I do. Stay out of the way as much as possible. Ben, appreciate it as always. And for the other Super Chats tonight, we thank everybody for tuning in and watching us here on the Rocky Top Rewind. It's every single Sunday night, 8 o'clock Eastern to 9 o'clock Eastern. We're live on the VolQuest YouTube channel. Please go ahead and subscribe. Set the set the bell to let you know when we have something new out there. And, of course, check us out at VolQuest.com. We've got so much stuff coming out throughout the week. Recruiting, Tennessee basketball, a top five team in the country. Tennessee baseball is right around the corner. Plenty of stuff to get into every single weekend, every single Sunday night on the Rocky Top Rewind, and every single day over at VolQuest.com. For Brent Hubs, Matt Ray, Rob Lewis, I am Eric Kane. Thank you all for joining us for another edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.